Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box published by the Airbinger Institute. In this bookie, we will discuss some rarely mentioned yet adequately important psychological issues that affect the quality of our lives and work. These issues are self-deception and self-betrayal. Self-deception and self-betrayal are so common psychological issues that they permeate our lives and work. They are as transparent as air yet are ignored by all. Through this book, we will learn how self-deception and self-betrayal can trap us in the box and make us get half the results, even though we put in twice the effort in whatever we do. This might sound a bit far-fetched, but you can be assured that it is true. Let us shed more light on this by looking at the following example. Imagine an infant who is learning to crawl but finds herself stuck beneath the furniture. So, as would any toddler, she starts to cry and out of frustration begins to bang her head against the bottom of the furniture in an attempt to be free. Unable to free herself from the discomfort, she proceeds to shake her head and kick her legs even more violently, which ultimately does nothing to ease her situation but rather makes it worse. In her frustration and desperation to get out of that situation, the infant fails to realize that she is the architect of her own predicament. Intuitively, she chooses the wrong approach to solving her problem, because in this particular case, rather than violently trying to free herself, doing nothing is a better solution instead. That is a sign of self-deception that is not peculiar to babies, we as adults often make similar mistakes in our lives. When we are faced with complex situations, we tend not to care about rightfully getting to the bottom of the truth, we would rather handle the problem hastily and play the blame game when we realize things are not what we assume them to be. It is almost our human nature to try all kinds of ineffective and even counterproductive methods. The danger with self-deception, is that it is so ever-present, yet so subtle that we often don't realize we are self-deceived if we are not called out on it. The book Leadership and Self-Deception is dedicated to exploring the causes of such phenomenon as well as proposing relevant solutions. After reading the book, you will be exposed to the recommendations to solving the problems caused by self-deception. We have reviewed the seven habits of highly effective people in one of our previous bookies. It was written by Stephen R. Covey who highly recommended this book we are now uncovering. He claimed that the book's concepts have deep and sweeping implications and the work is packed with insights. The author of this book is the Arbinger Institute in the United States. It is a management training and consulting firm with deep academic roots. Arbinger comprises of experts from the field of business, law, economics, psychology, philosophy, education among other disciplines. The Arbinger Institute, has successfully helped hundreds of organizations reduce problems relating to human resources as well as helped them maximize their profits. Its clients include Google, Microsoft, Boeing, Nike, the U.S. Navy, Cornell University, and many more. Now, to highlight the best bits from the book, we will uncover them in three parts. Part 1. What is self-deception, 
and what is the box? Part 2, how do we get in the box? Part 3, how do we get out of the box? Let us now take a look at the first part of this bookie to learn about what self-deception is and what we mean when we say the box. Self-deception is a kind of insistent blindness that makes us believe that everything we do is on track and our way of doing things is perfect. In this false mindset that is created unknowingly, we pay little attention to our flaws. Our colleagues, wives, in-laws, and even neighbors know it, we are the only ones oblivious to these flaws we have. For example, sometimes, we make promises to take our kids to the park but end up finding lame excuses to cancel the trip at the last minute. Other times, we see our colleagues plan to do something that we know will stir up trouble, yet we choose not to warn them about it. Whenever something like that happens, we tend not to examine ourselves, instead, we find reasons that allow us to be passive bystanders without considering how our actions have affected those around us. We justify our shortcomings by convincing ourselves that we can go to the park whenever we want, even though we know the particular times we have promised and not came through was more important. But when we are at the receiving end of others being passive bystanders, all we will recall is how they were not there for us when we needed them. Ultimately, we basically assume we are not to blame when we do it and we are victims when it is done to us. This book points out that self-deception is the most pervasive and severe problem in all organizations, and that the biggest trouble with it is that it's so subtle that the self-deceiver himself is unaware of it. There is another example in this about a young lawyer named Bud Jefferson. Jefferson was married and his wife was about to put to birth, so he worked extra hard to finish his assignments on time in order to take a three weeks leave to be with his family. Just as the Soon-to-be father was about to ask for the leave, his company ordered him to relocate to their office in San Francisco for an important project where he cannot return until the project's completion, and this might take between three weeks or even three months. You can imagine how reluctant Jefferson was to go on the assignment. Not having another option, he waved goodbye to his family and traveled to distant San Francisco. Since he was the last to arrive at the San Francisco offices, he was assigned to work on the 21st floor, while the rest of his colleagues worked on the 25th floor. But Jefferson was determined to work hard and fast so he could return to his family as soon as possible. For this reason, he got up at 6 a.m. every morning and worked until midnight. Three times a day, Jefferson would go down to the lobby to buy some bagels and sandwiches, then he would go back up to his office to eat and simultaneously work on some documents. From Jefferson's perspective, he considered himself a very hard worker, perhaps the most hard-working employee of the company, and if anyone was unhappy with his work, then that person must be deranged. Who would have thought that some supervisors would indeed be really upset with Jefferson's performance? Jefferson had on two occasions within the span of ten days, been severely reprimanded for failing to make the latest changes to his documents. What was then going on? It had turned out that Jefferson needed to reflect the latest progress of the company's projects in the documents he drafted. But he wasn't entirely sure on what's happening on the 25th floor. In addition, no one had updated him about the new situation. On two other occasions, 
The lead partner asked Jefferson for his opinion on certain issues. Only then did Jefferson realize that they were also part of his responsibility. What's even sadder, after eating bagels and sandwiches for ten days in a row, Jefferson realized that unnecessary expenses have been incurred because the company provided meals for their staff right on the 25th floor, but no one had told him about it. Truth be told, Jefferson was more or less responsible for all these mistakes he had made, but he couldn't realize it. The reality of being separated from his family immersed Jefferson in his fine spirit of sacrifice. Considering how hard he worked under these circumstances, who wouldn't be moved? Does Jefferson's experience strike a chord with you? Many people have encountered things like this in their work, thinking the system was against them, when in fact, this is a kind of self-deception. Jefferson's motivation was the need to return home early rather than an intention to go far and beyond for the sake of his employers. But under the unconscious influence of self-deception, he was inspired by his efforts but remained oblivious to his faults. Jefferson's example shows that problems are often hidden beneath the surface. In situations where we are always focused on others or keep complaining about the environment we live or work in, we will likely never see, realize, or be conscious of our own flaws. Self-deception is a phenomenon that is present among members of every field of study, but problems like this in disciplines like medicine often lead to devastating consequences. By mid-19th century, a strange thing happened at the Vienna General Hospital. The two sections of the maternity ward in the hospital had the same conditions, but the maternal mortality rates were worlds apart. One section of the ward had a 1 in 50 mortality rate which was normal for the time, but the other section had a 1 in 10 mortality rate. It meant that 1 in every 10 women giving birth died. Clearly, certain mysterious factors contributed to this difference. All the doctors and nurses working in that hospital tried to find the source of the discrepancy, but they were unable to make any progress. Just then, a doctor named Ignaz Semmelweis decided to think outside the box and asked a nerve-wracking question, could it be the fault of our doctors themselves, he thought. There was essentially no difference between the two sections of the maternity ward. If anything, the section with the higher mortality rate was attended by doctors and nurses, while the other section was attended by midwives. In that particular research hospital, doctors needed to treat patients and simultaneously study cadavers. Was it possible that the doctors who worked on cadavers came into contact with the germs from the corpse and then infected the patients? Dr. Semmelweis was determined to get to the bottom of this mystery, and so he had all doctors wash and disinfected their hands in a bleach solution before examining any patient. As a result, the maternal mortality rate in that section of the maternity ward immediately fell to 1%. Now we know that the deaths were caused by a fatal disease called childbed fever caused by a bacterial infection in the patients, but no one knew the reason behind it at that time until after Dr. Semmelweis's experiment. We have spent a considerable amount of time discussing self-deception, it is now time to move on to the concept of the box. Through self-deception, we lock ourselves in the box. If Dr. Semmelweis had not jumped out of the box to examine himself, he might never had identified the causative factor. In the previous example we mentioned about Jefferson, 
if he had not scrutinized himself, he might never have found out why his work was reprimanded despite the efforts he puts in. Every time we are self-deceived, we are in a box. At this point, we can only see the difficulties and challenges we face, failing to realize that we may have become liabilities to someone else. So how can you tell if a person is in or out of the box? It depends on whether he or she treats others as objects or as people. That is the most practical observation presented in this book. Let us take another look into the life of Jefferson for more examples. There was a time when Jefferson was on a train which had a shortage of seats in the cabin, many people in the aisle were looking for seats. Coincidentally, no one was sitting next to Jefferson, so he put his belongings on that seat and pretended to be flipping through a newspaper, hoping that no one would notice the seat next to him so he could enjoy a somewhat easier ride. At that very moment, what were the other passengers in Jefferson's eyes? They were just nuisances he didn't want to deal with. Unlike Jefferson, they didn't have normal desires and needs, they were just objects. About six months later, Jefferson and his wife Nancy traveled on another flight where they were seated separately. They had to stand in the aisle, glancing around to see which passenger they could switch seats with. Just then, a woman approached from the back of the cabin, smiled and said to the Jeffersons, Excuse me, if you need two seats together, I believe the seat next to me is vacant. I'd be happy to sit in one of your seats. In this woman's eyes, the Jeffersons were not objects, but living breathing human beings with normal needs and desires worthy of her consideration. Both Jefferson and the woman had empty seats next to them, yet, their behaviors were vastly different, this was because Jefferson was in the box of self-deception while the lady was not. That lady believed that all people were the same and that other people's needs were as normal as her own. If it happens to meet other people's needs, why not do someone a favor by actively lending a hand? You see, by acting outside the box of self-deception, you can solve problems easily and create lovely surroundings in your life. We have now concluded the first part of this bookie, what is self-deception and what is the box? Self-deception, is a kind of insistent blindness. It makes us believe that everything we do is on track and our way of doing things is perfect. In this self-deceived atmosphere, we are unaware of our flaw. Through self-deception, we lock ourselves in the box. When we lock ourselves in that box, we see others as objects and not living breathing human beings with normal needs and desires like our own. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.